Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. I don't know about you, but sometimes today's just been kind of a crazy morning, and uh, with craziness breeds a little bit of uh, confusion or chaos in my mind. And and maybe you came in that way today. And I just love what we sang about because it kind of took this moment of take all the nonsense of craziness in the world and let's just kind of hone in on that which is most sacred to us, right? What can wash away my sins. And the church said what? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So I love that because it's kind of a moment where it draws us back in. And in fact, it takes us back to the essence of what we're here this morning. In fact, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul has done. As we started this series, New Other Gospel, in the book, through the book of Galatians, as Paul's writing to the churches in the area of Galatia, Paul is really taking them back to the basic truth of the gospel, something that they had kind of walked away from, something they had, had deserted. And he, he reminds them as we've gone through, he reminds them of what the gospel is. He said the gospel is basically this. Jesus died for our sins to rescue us. That's it. Just Jesus. His life, his death, he came to rescue. And then Paul goes on, as we've seen, and he begins to address the issues, uh, the, probably the greatest enemy to grace and to the gospel, and that is religion. That is legalism. That idea that we must perform in order to be accepted by God. And Paul says it's not about performance. It, to be saved is not Jesus plus your performance. To be saved, it's Jesus alone. Amen, church? Amen. And Paul lays it out for them. Even Paul uses his own personal conversion story to remind them of how who he used to be and how Jesus and only Jesus changed his life. And then last week we talked about, we saw Paul talk about the idea of unity in the body of Christ, that as they wrestled with this other gospel, which there is no other gospel, but this false gospel that had been preached, as they wrestled with that, he's trying to draw them back into the truth of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins to rescue us. He's trying to draw them back, and he reminds them that as a body of believers, that there must be unity in that. There can be not any division. And I talked about this last week, that as a church, we protect that. We protect that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That is it for us, and we protect it on this stage. We protect it in our small groups because we believe that we must protect the truth of the gospel. And I said this last week, that some issues are closed-handed issues. That would be one of them. Other things are open-handed issues, like, for example, how often do we take the Lord's Supper? That's an open-handed issue, but the fact that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, that's closed-handed for us. That is absolutely what the Bible teaches, and that's where we stand as a church. And so Paul reminds them, you must be united as a church, and what unifies us is Jesus. Do you know why you came here this morning? Because of Jesus. You know what, why, what we all have in common? It's not that we're all awesome looking, right? You know what we all have in common? Jesus. You know why we all sit here and able to sing songs? It's not because these are the newest songs on the radio and something we just kind of feel like, hey, they kind of like the rhythm of that. We sing these songs. Why? Because of who? Jesus. He is what unites us and he's what brings us together. And so Paul's established there is one gospel. We are saved by grace through 
faith, and we'll see him come back to that over and over again. But today he addresses a different topic as we go through chapter 2. He begins to talk about the issue of justification. Now, I know that's a church word. That's a biblical word. Many of us go, okay, I don't know what that word means. So we have the definition, I believe, on the screen of what justification is. Do we have that on the screen? Okay, they don't have it on the screen. So I'm going to tell you what justification is. So let's write this down, right? It's a good one if things go wrong. So here it is. So here's the definition of justification. It's being declared not guilty, which produces right standing. Think about a courtroom for just a minute. If Jason Belcher is accused of a crime, which he never would, right, Jason? At least one that we know of. Okay, so if Jason Belcher is standing in the courtroom and the judge declares him not guilty, that means that he's now in good standing with the law and good standing in his community. So when we are justified in Christ, what that means is that we have been deemed by God the Father that we are not guilty and that we have right standing with him. It's as if the Heavenly Father, because we are justified, sees us as if we had never sinned. And it's as if he sees us as if we've always obeyed. So this is what justification is, being declared not guilty, which produces right standing. Now what's interesting is Paul has early on had to tackle this whole gospel issue. Now he tackles the issue of justification. What gives us right standing with God? So if you have your Bibles, chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Galatians chapter 2. And today we're going to read verses 15 through 21. And I am going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's word. This is the words of our Lord through the Apostle Paul, as he writes, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one would be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we are too found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild an altar that I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Here it is. Climax. For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if the righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, there's so much power in your words here. May we diligently, rightly divide your word of truth. May you speak to us. May you give us insight, and may it challenge our hearts this morning. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now this morning, as we look at this passage, I want to give you just a little bit of context. Last week, if you remember, the apostle Paul had a moment, a moment where he confronted Peter. Do you remember that moment? We talked about that in chapter 2, like around verse 11 and 12. Paul confronts Peter. They go to Antioch, and remember he goes to Peter, and I say he kind of puts his finger in Peter's chest, and he calls him out, right? Do you remember that? And he basically challenges Peter because Peter, who knows that we are saved by grace, has gone and he's hung out with Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. He's hanging out with them, making them feel like you're accepted, you're loved, and you belong 
And then these other group, these called the Judaizers, show up. These are people who are Jewish by birth, who claim to be Christian, but believe it takes Jesus plus the law to be saved. And they show up on the scene, and all of a sudden Peter withdraws from these Gentiles. And Paul rebukes him. He said, Peter, your actions aren't in line with the gospel. The gospel is we're saved by grace. You know that. That's why you sit with the Gentiles. But when you withdrew from them, you're sending a different message. You're sending a message they don't belong. You're sending a message they have to perform to be saved. Peter, you are wrong. Now, just think about that for a moment. Just think. Here's Paul, who wasn't even an original apostle. He was saved on the way to Damascus, and he's basically calling out the guy who began the movement known as the church when he stood there in Acts chapter 2, and he preached the message, and thousands of people got saved, and Paul is calling that guy out. And so where we pick up the story is this continuation of Paul addressing Peter. And there's three things I want you to know. First of all, Paul tells us and tells Peter what the law cannot provide. Here's what the law cannot provide. Look at me in verse 15 and 16. Paul says to Peter, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So we also believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one would be justified. And so Peter uh, is being rebuked by Peter, and Paul reminds Peter this. Paul reminds Peter this, that the law can't provide something for us. He says, Peter, listen, we are Jews by birth. That basically means this. Paul's saying to Peter, hey, listen, Pete. I'm going to call him Pete. You okay with that? Okay, I'm going to call him Pete. Say, hey, listen, Pete. Here's the deal. We know what it's like to live under the oppression of the law. We're both Jews by birth. We both lived a life where the law was impeding on us, where we were always taught we must perform to be accepted. We must perform to be saved. We've got to keep the law to be in right standing with God. You know, Paul, you, I'm Peter, you, you, we know this. We, we grew up this way. We grew up with a mindset that, that keeping the law was just a way of life for us. We know this, Pete. You and I know we grew up this way. Not these Gentile sinners. Now, this phrase, Gentile sinners, is not Paul, you know, like throwing shade on the Gentiles. The phrase Gentile sinners means that they did not have a law that guided the way of living. So he's saying, listen, Pete, you and I had a law that governed how we live. And it was a yoke that we had to bear. It was oppression that we went through. But these Gentile sinners, these people that are Gentiles, they didn't have a law to be guided by. And you know that, Pete. Come on, we know this. And then Paul says something powerful in verse 16. Look what he says. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, hey, Pete, listen, man. We both were Jews from birth. We both lived a life where the law was imposed on us to be accepted by God, to be loved by God. You must perform and keep the law. We know what that feels like. These Gentiles don't. Because they've never had a law to guide them. And Pete, ultimately, here's what we know. We are not justified by works of the law. What gives us right standing with God is not our obedience. It's not our performance. Because we have faith in Christ, that's what makes us right. Our faith in Christ is what gives us right standing with the Lord, not our works. See, the reason that's important for us, because some of us buy into that notion. Some of us know that we are saved by grace through faith. We know that. 
But if I were to ask you how do you live your life, some of you, like Doug sometimes, I fall into that trap of living my life in a way going, okay, I, I, I want to be more accepted by God. I think I've got to perform in order to be more accepted. I've got to perform in order to be in more right standing with God. And the answer is if I know Jesus my Savior, I am in right standing. Always. One of my favorite TV shows is Shark Tank. Anybody watch Shark Tank? Who, who watched Shark Tank? Let me see your hands again. Okay. Tyler Peck, who's your favorite shark on there? Mr. Wonderful. Okay, that's mine too. Kevin. Kevin Leary, right? Mr. Wonderful. And Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank, he's the one that nobody really likes. But on the Shark Tank, here's what he does. He's big about royalties. He's like, okay, I don't, I'm not going to give you the percentage you want, but if I do give it to you, I want a royalty. So if you make it for $5 and you're selling it for $20, I want a 2% royalty. And he says this, in perpetuity. Which means, as long as this product's alive, I want $2 from here to all eternity. And what Paul is saying is, what makes us in right standing from here to all eternity is not the works of the law. The works of the law doesn't make you and I in right standing with God. Did you hear that this morning, church? You need to know that the works, your performance, your obedience does not make you in right standing with God. Now, let me say this, because some of you might think, well, Doug, if you believe that, does that mean the law was bad? No. Who gave the law? Come on, church, who gave the law? God gave the law. Does God give anything that's bad? No. no. But the problem is the law is not bad. It was just misused. Here's what I mean. The law was never designed to save anyone. The law was never designed to take us to a place to give us right standing with God. The law was always designed to show us what holiness looks like. What it looks like to live a life that honors the Lord. There's a big difference there, isn't it? See, the law was never designed to, to save anybody. It was never designed to put you in right standing with God. It was always designed to show us, here's how you can live a life that's set apart from the world, that is honoring to the Lord. This is what holiness looks like. So don't kill anybody. So don't cover your neighbor's wife. So have no other God before me. Are you kind of kidding the picture? The law was never designed to remove sin. It was always designed to reveal sin. Are you with me on that church? So the law isn't bad, it was just misused. That's why Jesus said, I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I want to show you what God's intent was. I want to show you that the law was a picture of holiness. The law was a picture to reflect our sinfulness. It was never designed to save you. So Paul says, listen, Pete, here's what we know. We grew up as Jews. We lived in this oppression. What we know is that we are not justified. We are not declared non-guilty. We don't have a right standing with God based on performance. But rather, we are justified by faith in Christ. Listen to me, church. What gives you right standing with the Lord? What gives me right standing with the Lord? It's Jesus. That moment that we recognized we were sinners... That moment we understood that we needed Jesus, that moment that we surrendered our lives to him and invited him in to be the boss and the master of life, that moment we said, Jesus, I believe in you as a son of God who came to this world, who lived sinless, who died on the cross, and who rose again three days. With the moment we put our faith in him, we stood right before our heavenly father and we are justified. What gives us right standing is not our good works. What gives us right standing is faith 
in Jesus. David Platt, a famous preacher, says it this way. Justification is the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner righteous solely on the basis of faith in Jesus. Here's what Paul is telling Pete. You ready? The law cannot provide right standing with God. Only faith in Jesus can. Second thing I want you to notice is this, that Paul tells us, tells Paul, tells Peter, as well as us, what all we need. What, one thing that we all need. Look with me verse 17 and 18. Look what he says. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, in other words, if our endeavor, we want to be, we want to be in right standing because of Jesus, and we are too are found to be sinners, is Jesus Christ then a servant of sin? Paul says, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I've torn down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, one thing we all need, because we can't be justified through our works, because the law can't provide that, one thing we all need is we need to die to the mindset of legalism. We need to die to the mindset that if I perform, somehow I'm more in right standing with God. Let me say this. I'm going to say it every week. Why don't you hear me say this? My performance as a Christian is not to earn God's love. It's a reflection of my love for God. Do you understand that this morning, church? I perform not to earn his love or to be in right standing. I perform because I am in right standing and I am loved by him. My love and my life and my works is a result and reflection of what Christ has done for me. Not, I don't do it to earn his favor. I already have his favor. You already have his favor. If you're a Christian, you are in right standing. Well, Doug, you don't know I'm living a life of sin right now. I'm struggling. You're still in right standing. Now, you may have fellowship that's broken with the Lord, but your relationship's still there. You are still a child of the Most High God. And so what Paul says, what we all need is this. We all need to die to a mindset of legalism. Now, what Paul does in this passage is a little bit confusing, so I want to clarify it. He addresses the objections of the Judaizers. Look at me in verse 17. But if you, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Now here's what Paul is saying. I know it's a little bit confusing, but here's what Paul is saying. He's like, listen, what the Judaizers are saying, churches of Galatia, they're saying that if we choose to put our faith in Christ, and that's what gives us right standing, and we all would say amen to that, right? That if that gives us right standing, that if we still struggle sinning, then Jesus must be someone who promotes sin. That's what they were saying. Now, let me quick question. How many of you in the room that say that you're followers of Jesus Christ still struggle with sin? Right? Right? All of us, right? So then does that make Jesus a sinner? Does that make Jesus promote sin? I mean, what Paul says is there in the Greek is certainly what? Not there's probably a little bit more emphatic in the Greek in that language than certainly not. What I mean, think about this for a moment. This is ludicrous for these Judaizers to imply that if you're going to be justified by faith and yet you still struggle with sin, that Jesus is a promoter of sin. Think about it. You're saying the one who is sinless promotes sin. The one who died on the cross to take our sin promotes sin. That is absurd. Now, why did Paul do this? Because Paul understood something about the Judaizers, and we have them even today. We don't call them that, but we have people that still send the same message out. Paul understood this truth. He understood that for the Judaizers, they believe it was Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus obedience. Jesus plus performance, in particular circumcision. Why do they believe that? 
Because they believe that the law is what provided guidance. The law provided direction for your life. And if it's not Jesus plus the law, then where's the guidance? Where's the direction? So Jesus must be a promoter of sin. And Paul says, certainly not. For those of us that have endeavored to be justified by faith in Christ, to have right standing because of that, and yet we still struggle with sin, doesn't throw any shade or speak ill of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. In fact, Paul says this in verse 18 and 19. He says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. In other words, he says, listen, if I rebuild a system of legalism after I've accepted Christ, so if I rebuild this system of legalism, it says I must perform after I've already accepted Christ, guess who the sinner is? Me. I'm the sinner. I'm the transgressor. Because now I'm saying it's Jesus plus the law. So Paul is telling these churches of Galatia, hey, you're, these Judaizers you're listening to, man, they really screwed up. I mean, they're saying that Jesus promoter sin because you say you're, you're saved by grace through faith and you're justified by faith and yet you struggle with sin and they're throwing some shade on Jesus and it's wrong. Why? Because they don't understand. They don't realize that it's not Jesus plus the law. Yes, the law provided guidance. Yes, the law provided direction. But just because we struggle with sin doesn't mean that Jesus is a promoter of sin. What is Paul getting at? We must die to the mindset of legalism. Hear me on this, church. If you have even a smidgen, you know what a smidgen is? My grandma used the word smidgen. Anybody use that word? Anybody? And she always talked about it with recipes. Oh, I just put a smidgen of this and a smidgen of that. It could have been a handful, but it was always a smidgen, right? And so even if you have a smidgen in you that says, I must perform to be in right standing, kill it. Even if there's a smidgen in you that says, I must, be, I must perform in order to be greater loved or accepted, you need to kill that mindset because it is wrong. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Everybody said amen to that? Amen. So Paul says, here's what we really need to kill this mindset. And quite frankly, listen, if you buy into that mindset, you're the one that's sinning. If you ever think it's Jesus plus something, you're the one that's living in sin. And then Paul ends with my favorite part. This is my favorite part. Paul's told them what the law cannot provide. He's, because the law cannot make us justified, right standing with God, only faith can. We need to kill that mindset. Then he ends with this last point, which he tells us what our anthem should be. So he's talking to the apostle Peter. and he said, Paul's telling Peter, listen, bro, the law can't provide right standing with God. Only faith can. So kill the mindset. And hey, Pete, guess what? This should be our anthem. You ready? You ready, Pete? This is the anthem of every believer. For I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Pete, that is the anthem of every believer. For I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It means I have died to something. That when I accepted Christ, I died to my old self. I died to my old destiny. I died to my old eternity. I died to my old nature. When I accepted Christ, there was a part of me that died. And it wasn't a bad part of me. It was the sinful part of me. I died to that. Sin no longer has authority over me anymore. I died to that. For I have been crucified with Christ. Just as Jesus died for my sin, I died to it as well. Yet not I. The Christ that lives in me. In other words, hey, while I live physically, guess who lives in me spiritually? 
Come on, guess who lives in me spiritually? The Spirit of the Holy God. The Holy Spirit lives within me. Now, why, is, why would Paul say this? Because he understood that the Judaizers believe without the law, there was no guidance and direction. So it must be Jesus plus the law. And, P, and Paul says that's not true. The law has always provided guidance. It's always provided direction of holiness. But the thing the law has never provided is conviction. The law never nudges you to follow God. It tells you how to follow God, but it never nudges you. So Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ lives in me. What nudges you? What nudges you, Victoria? What nudges you, Colton? What nudges you, Shelby? What nudges us to live a life that's pleasing to God? It's the Spirit of God that's in me. That's what nudges me. That's what pushes me. That's what prompts me to obey him is the Spirit of God that lives within me. And Paul says, as in light of that, as my anthem, I've died to something. Christ lives in me, and because he lives in me, guess what? I'm going to spend the rest of my days living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to trust him with every part of me. And I love this passage because Paul, it's like Paul is like pointing them peace at Pete. Listen, man, you are not walking in line with the gospel. You are being a hypocrite, Pete. Hear me, bro. We don't have right standing because we keep the law. We have right standing because we have Jesus. we got to die to that mindset. Pete, here's our anthem. I died with Christ. I died to the old self. Christ lives in us, Pete. And because of it, the Holy Spirit nudges us to live for him and to keep the law because it's designed to keep what holiness looks like. God, Pete, that's what, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And Pete, because of that, because the Holy Spirit is in us, we're going to live the rest of our days as a life of faith. Trusting him with everything we have and everything that we are. Can I just say this to you this morning? That should be our anthem too. I get asked a lot of times, what's your favorite verse? And I, it depends on what day I'm in. I always have a lot of favorite verses. You know, I always tell you like when I'm preaching, this is my favorite passage. Well, today it was my favorite passage. But this is my favorite life verse as well as is Nancy's as well too. It's our favorite life verse. Why? Because this should be the anthem for how we live. If you're a Christian today, can I say this to you? You've been crucified with Christ. Just as he died on the cross, you died to your old way. You died to the old sinful nature. You died to the power and the penalty of sin that was in your life. And if you're a Christian today, the Spirit of God lives within you. While you live this life in the flesh, the Spirit of God still lives within you. And as you live this life in the flesh, we are called to live a life of what? Faith. And the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. So here's my encouragement to us this morning as we close. Some of you are trying to earn God's love and acceptance. Can I just say this to you lovingly? Stop. You're never going to get there. You're never going to get And I, I know you were taught wrong. I know somewhere maybe in your upbringing you were taught that you had to perform to earn mom and dad's love and acceptance. But you don't have to do it with your heavenly father. Why? Because he's perfect. Your parents are flawed. Right? Stop it. You're never going to get there. So if you're trying to earn it, please stop it this morning. Second thing I want to challenge you with is this, is that would you commit to dying to this legalistic mindset that we must perform to be in right standing? We are in right standing because we believe, not because we perform. And last of all, last challenge this morning is this, is will we embrace the right, that right standing with God comes through faith. This morning, will you embrace this truth, that right standing with God comes through faith? In Jesus. And maybe you've never done that before. 
What a great day to do it, right? What a great day because you've heard the truth that Jesus loves you and he died for you. And maybe this morning you should acknowledge that you're a sinner and say, Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I rebelled against you. But I ask you to forgive me of my sin. To come into my life to be my Lord and Savior. And I will put my faith in you. See, if you don't know Christ today and you need to embrace this truth that right standing comes through faith. Would you put your faith in him today? Maybe some of you have put your faith in Jesus, but you've never made it public. Maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe you've never let the world know that you're a follower of Jesus. Well, next Sunday morning after service, we're going to baptize. And if you know you're a follower of Jesus and you've never taken that step, would you let us know that? We would love to baptize you next week. It is the first step of obedience in the life of a believer. It's the way you let the world know, I love, live, and I'm going to follow Jesus all the days of my life. But then for those of us in the room that are believers who have been baptized, I want to ask you this morning, will you make Galatians 2.20 the anthem for how you live? When you wrestle with what Rachel talked about a while ago, would you let Galatians 2.20 remind you that you've been crucified with Christ and the Spirit of God lives inside of you and that you've committed to live a life of faith to Him and for Him? But also as believers, not only I want you to commit to that, I'm going to ask you to celebrate that. I want you to celebrate what Christ has done for you. So this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. You're going to stand, and you're going to have an opportunity to come to the Lord's table. Now, who's the Lord's table for? Who's the Lord's supper for? Anybody in there, I don't care if you're a member of our church or not, it doesn't matter. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to join and partake of the Lord's table. Here's what I mean. If you're really committed, I mean, like, you're like, man, I, Doug, I'm going to commit myself to making this the anthem of my life. I'm going to commit to remind myself the joy of what Christ has done for me, and I want to celebrate what he's done for me. I invite you to take the supper. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As the music begins to play in a few moments, as you stand up, just come and grab one of these elements and go back to your seat. And once you get back to your seat, do what the Bible tells us to do before we take the supper. Remember, number one, remember what Christ has done. Remember the body that was beaten for you, for me, for the person sitting beside you. And then remember the blood that was shed. We sang it about a while ago. What can wash away my sins? What's the answer, church? Nothing but the what? The blood. If there was no shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness of sin. And so take a moment and remember what he's done. The body that was beaten. The blood that was shed. And then last of all, secondly, before you take it, examine your heart. Say, Lord of have I made the commitment to make Galatians 2.20 the anthem of my life? See, I love how the passage ends. Just real quickly, let's look at verse 21. Do we have that on the screen? Listen how Paul, this is how Paul ends this finger pointing with Peter. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, that Christ died for no purpose. In other words, if I have to gain right standing through the law, Jesus died for nothing. Anybody here this morning ready to say that one? Not me, right? So if that's you, and you're ready to make that your anthem, join us take supper. So once you get back, and you remember and you examine on your own, as you feel led, peel the top layer back and take the wafer that reminds us of the body. Peel back the second layer and take the juice that reminds us of the blood that was shed. And let's celebrate with thanksgiving in our heart what Christ has done. Let's all stand together if you would. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's stand together. Father God, I love you. I thank you for this holy moment that we've had. I thank you for this passage. Gosh, it's, Lord, it is it's amazing. 
what a moment this must have been in the life of Paul and Peter. But God, I pray this morning for all of us in the room that we would be reminded that our right standing with you doesn't come by performing. We perform because we're in right standing with you. God, our right standing comes because of faith in Jesus. God, that we would be reminded of that and that we would die to this legalism and that as believers we can make Galatians 2.20 the anthem for how we live our lives, that we can remind ourselves that we have died to the old way, that you live inside of us, and because of that we're going to live a life of faith for you. God, I pray for believers in the room today that we would make that commitment, that we would evaluate our lives, examine our lives, and go, Lord, maybe I've been living more apathetic for you. God, maybe I've been cutting myself too much slack. But today I want to make a commitment that I'm going to live a life of faith, trusting you with every bit of me. Every decision I make, my marriage, my finances, my kids, my workplace, my career path, God, I'm going to trust you with everything. God, would you give us this courage to do that? And as we do that, would we come grab these elements and celebrate your supper? But God, I pray for the one who's never made that decision, that today they would realize, as Rachel talked about a while ago, that they're searching for the right thing, but they're looking for it in all the wrong places. And what they need is Jesus. What they need is you, Lord. So maybe today, in the quietness of this moment, they would just quietly say, Lord, I know that I'm that sinner. But today, I put my faith in you and ask you to forgive me and be the boss and master of my life. God, give them the courage to do that. We love you, Lord. Bless this time. In your name we pray. Amen. And just for a moment, a couple things. If you made that decision for Christ, there's a little blue handout you got at the bottom. It's a response card. Would you fill that out and drop it in the basket on your way out or give it to me? Or you can talk to me on your way out. But don't let this moment pass you by. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. This Yesterday was a weird day for me. Yesterday, Saturdays, you may not know this, but Saturdays I protect a lot. Um, I don't do much on Saturday. I don't go out and eat much with anybody. I kind of have the morning to myself and do whatever. And then after that, I, I start studying to memorize and to, to kind of finish tweaking my notes for Sunday morning. So Saturday's a sacred day for me. If you ever call me on Saturday, I don't answer. You know why. But yesterday was a little different day. Got up early, studied, and the same day had a multitude of emotions. Got to go to the hospital, see two of our families that had precious babies. Got to see little Levi. Got to see little Reed, who was 11 pounds. God bless the mama, right? I mean, I got to go, and man, it, just, it was incredible. Also went to a church and watched three of our young adult men put their father in the ground who had pancreatic cancer at 49. So it was a wealth of emotions from yesterday. I was like, God, this is incredible. I mean, in one moment there's celebration and one moment there is mourning, even though this man loved Jesus and had a ripple effect that affected so many people for the kingdom. I mean, it's still hard. It's still grieving. And Sonia, we're driving back home. I said, this is just an incredible emotional day, honey. She said, I know. And I began to think, I thought, you know what? It should remind us that life should be celebrated, but it also should be cherished. 
Because we don't have the guarantee of tomorrow, do we? And we need to celebrate every moment. And if you're a believer, that means today making the commitment we've talked about. Don't hold off. Don't go, well, I'll think about it. No, no, no. If it's what God wants you to do, do it and then celebrate it through communion. If you don't know Christ, don't wait till tomorrow. You may not have it. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And when I went to bed last night, when I put my head on the pillow, I said, Lord, thank you for life. Thank you for the time we have. But help me always remember it's nothing but a vapor. And so live it to the fullest. And if you don't know Christ, it begins with knowing him. And if you do know Christ, it begins by committing to live for him and to celebrate that through the Lord's Supper. So however the Lord moves in your heart today, don't fight it. Just respond to it. So as you feel led, believers, join us at the table.